Well, good morning. Praise the Lord. Wow. If you'll uh, grab your Bible and turn to Revelation 3, verse 14. Are you there? Revelation 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. So that's our cue. Listen up. This is Jesus speaking to us, the church. 15. As I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So today, I want us to wrestle with the question of (coughs) complicit, complacent, or courageous. You know, which describes your faith? Complicit, complacent, or courageous? Well, what are those? What do we mean by that? Well, complicit means you're giving up and you're giving into culture, becoming part of it. And this is uh, often done through self-effort, not through grace. We remember how uh, Peter denied Jesus and he went along with the crowd. He was afraid. You know, all of the apostles abandoned Jesus at that moment. And later on, after uh, Peter had been restored by Christ and they were going around planting churches and discipling, Peter was found backsliding into the Jewish culture and had to be, um, I guess, rebuked by Paul. We remember that it was said before the coming of certain men from James, in other words, Uh, the circumcision, those Jews who believed you had to be circumcised to be saved, to become Christian. Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, when Paul and his brothers came down, he would withdraw and hold himself aloof. And he was fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews in that church joined him in that hypocrisy, with the result being that even Barnabas 
uh, a faithful, faithful man of God was carried away by their hypocrisy. You know, Peter was, it, this is kind of interesting because Peter was earlier accused of um, leaving the Jews and going to the Gentiles and, and preaching on grace and being released from the law. And now he's back and he's kind of talking people going back into the law. So it, it was a challenging um, faith time for Peter. And I think that we can often find ourselves going through some of the same difficulties. But I want to, I guess, challenge you to examine your heart a little bit. Do you find yourself more at ease in the world with worldly people in their lifestyle? Or do you find yourself more at ease um, with other brothers and sisters under the banner of Christ? You know, where, where is your comfort level? Um, truly, when we become born again, when we're walking in faith led by the Spirit, the things of the world that we used to engage in, that used to be our life, should feel a little uncomfortable. It should feel a little ugly or out of sorts to us. Um, and that's kind of God's way of making sure we don't jump back into that. Uh, when, we're, when we're born again, we're, we're welcomed into the family, we're welcomed into the kingdom, and we still have to go back out into the world to carry the truth of the gospel. But our purpose for doing that is to welcome them in. Not to go out there and, and be part of them again. So it's a challenging thing because, you know, we have love in our hearts for people. We want to see people saved. We know God wants to see them saved. Um, so it's just uh, something that we want to examine um, our hearts. Because the danger is we can become complicit. Our faith can become complicit. In other words, we begin to join in to those things again. So I think Jesus would call that kind of faith cold. Maybe no faith at all. It takes faith to hear from Jesus and do what he says, to seek him out. All of these things that we're doing here are born of faith. Not works, but faith. So what is complacent faith? It's showing a smug or uncritical satisfaction with yourself or your achievements. You know how that is. Um, things are good. I got everything going. Everything's smooth. I don't have to, to worry. Um, you know, we, we get complacent. We, we are never falling on our knees and crying and moaning, complaining, seeking God when we're complacent, when everything's going great. And that is a problem because here in America, it's easy to have a lifestyle that's, you know, going okay. And we can get complacent. Complacency will stifle any new effort or action. Um, complacent faith will find us often cursing every single deed of darkness. And 
We're cursing it. We're against it. Because, not because we're really against it, not because we find it offensive, it's because we don't want to change. Think about that. If we're putting down the deeds of darkness all the time, we can rest on that instead of saying, you know, do work in me. And let me step further. Let me step further out. Let me do things. You know, see what I'm saying? If we're if we're uh, stuck in that complacent, that middle, that lukewarm faith, where everything's good, no worries, we're not stretching, we're not getting those scars and battles from getting out and serving Jesus and serving others, um, we can become complacent. Um, I, I shared that story with you last week, how the week before I had picked up that uh, single lady from the jail, the sheriff called me, she was released from jail, and she uh, didn't have anywhere to go. Uh, so they called me, I went and picked her up, and let her stay here. And, oh, man, was that a grace grower. <laughs> I, I was struggling, you know, because she kept asking for things. And, you know, she would say thank you, but she had, like, no clue. Like, let's go spend, you know, $200 for groceries just for one meal. While I'm sitting there for two and a half hours waiting for a shop. So, I mean, it just, if you have complacent faith, you are just not going to let God stretch you that way. And I also shared with you how as the week went on and I'm struggling through all this, I even had to drive her four hours down to Gallup to get on the bus. And I shared how when I was leaving, you know, I almost started crying because I felt like, I was sending my daughter out. I don't know. It was bad, but you know, <laughs> that complacent faith, you won't let God stretch you that way. Um, often, if you have complacent faith, you find that you're kind of blocking grace working in you. You know, you're you're maybe not intentionally doing it, but you you feel like grace isn't just moving and working in and through you. And, and you have to ask yourself, am I putting up a, a roadblock somewhere? So if you have complacent faith, probably the words that you use often would be, it's good enough. You know, life is good enough. Nothing to complain about. But in these letters that we read in Revelation where Jesus writes to the seven churches, he really gets on these people whose faith is lukewarm. In fact, you know, as we read, he will spit them out of his mouth. So we can tell that Jesus does not appreciate complacent faith. I kind of look at complacent faith as like that middle line or that fence. You know how we're walking the fence, and on this side is complicit, and on this side is courageous faith. And and if you have complacent faith, you can go one side or the other. You know, you can. Make that choice and end up what I would consider the wrong place or the right place. So courageous faith. Next slide. Courageous means giving everything to the Lord, serving Him, and standing for Him, even in the times that we're living in right now. You personally may not feel it, but I think many of us do, that this is a really difficult time uh, for Christians. 
um, so much of the world opinion and, and discussion is against Christianity, against Jesus, against the things that are important to him. So courageous faith is faith that is not uh, constrained or fearing danger or pain. It's, it's a kind of faith that you might say has a lot of heart to it, valor, brave. Um, you know, you're just, you, you get out and you do things for Jesus that maybe don't make sense. Maybe it's going to hurt. Maybe you could get injured, but you do it because you have faith. You're, you're, you're doing it. Just know that no matter what, you know, I've got Jesus and I know where my future place is. So you can have that bravery. Courageous faith does not come through self-effort. I think the problem is when we use that word, we think, oh, yeah, we will have courageous faith. Oh, man. To get to that point of courageous faith, sometimes you have to go through that valley. You have to have those scars and bruises um, to get there. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews. So we're in Revelation. Go back to the left a couple of books to Hebrews. And we're going to be in chapter 11. In fact, this is called the uh, faith chapter. Are you there, Hebrews 11? You know, this chapter kind of brushes over the landscape of, of Scripture, and it has a, a lot of people listed in this about their faith, their courageous believers, the things that they ended up doing and the consequences they experienced because they said, yes, Lord, if that's what you want, that's what I'm going to do. Well, beginning with verse 1, chapter 11. Now, faith is... The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. So faith is just knowing that you know that the hope that I have in Jesus, my future, heaven, the afterlife, um, Jesus being in my life day in and day out from here forward. You're assured of that. You, you, there's nothing that can change it. That's a rock-solid conviction and belief. And it's the conviction of things not seen. The thing about faith is, and especially courageous faith, is that you're being asked to have faith in something that has not yet happened, in something that you can't see. It's maybe an invisible, maybe it's a spiritual thing, maybe just... Because it hasn't happened yet, you can't see it. So you, you have to have faith in things that are unseen. Verse 3, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So when we look out here and we look at the dirt, you know, that dirt which we can see was made out of something that we can't see. So if you were to ask somebody to uh, make a rock and you know for a science experiment, they'd say, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Can, can you give me some dirt and water and some minerals and things? 
Oh, no, no, no. You can't start. You have to create those too. So things that are unseen. Uh, move down to verse 7. We're going to talk about two characters, Noah, Abraham, well, Sarah too, third one. So verse 7, chapter 11. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which God condemned the world, or used Noah to condemn the world, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah is asked to build an ark, and it was actually 20 years before he even had any kids. He was to build an ark to save his family from the coming flood. What flood? How do you have a flood? There's no rain. How do you have a flood? So Noah was asked to do something that was huge. He had to build this ark that was so big to put in two of each kind of animal and his family. And that there was going to be a flood. Can you imagine? You know, the things that God asks us to do pale in comparison to something like this. Um, when we when we want to moan and complain and whine about God asking us to do something that just seems too big for us, it would uh, be wise for us to remember some of these heroes of the faith, some of these courageous believers. How they said, okay, yes, Lord, I can't see it. I don't know what it's going to look like or what it's supposed to be, but you said to do it, so I'm going to start trying to do it. Kind of like my job. I can't see. I don't know what's going to go on until I walk in those doors. There have been some days I'm ready to turn right around and leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, when I walk into there at times. Yeah. Go in by faith. I've also seen a lot of things that talk about many, many of those quote-unquote heroes of the Bible and where they started from, where God plucked them out of and still used them to do really, really big things. So yeah. Don't hinder yourself. <laughs> yeah. Amen. God's bigger than that. Amen. Amen. Uh, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. <laughs> that sounds like an adventure to me. But, you know, leave your family and everything you know, all that you have, and go to this place I'm going to sh show you. Well, where is that, God? Well, just get going, I'll show you. <laughs> So by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. So he was not in a place where he had his people, his family. And he, so he was an alien. He was um, different. And he goes to that land, and he lives among them, and he lives as an exile and a sojourner. Um, it says here, midway through verse 9, he was dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were fellow heirs of the same promise. So the, the vow, the promise that God made to Abraham, he also made to Isaac and Jacob. 10, for he was looking for the city, which was foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now we move into Sarah. By faith, even Sarah 
herself received ability to conceive. So before we think no big deal, let's remember she was 90 when she conceived. Anyway, let's see, no, I was verse 10. 11, 11. Even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So when God was telling her that she was going to conceive, she she knew physically it made no sense, but she believed God who told her because he was faithful to his promise. Therefore, this 12, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead. In other words, her husband was even older. At that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. <coughs> so Abraham and Sarah never even saw that promise, that part of the covenant come true. They died long before all these people were born. We are those people that it is speaking about. So they had to have courageous faith. This, this, this plan of God's, both for Abraham, well, Abraham, Sarah, and Noah, was huge. It was big. And again, God gives us assignments, and, you know, he's going to give us small assignments, and then they may get bigger and bigger, but regardless, um, we don't want to limit what God can do by saying, sorry, that's too big for me, I can't do it. We can only do it through God. Just think about Noah. He had to approach building that ark for this worldwide devastation that was going to come. I mean, just think of that burden on him of, of thinking that through. And he had to go out and he had to find the wood and coat it. He had to assemble it like God said to do it. And he did it in dry weather, nowhere near the ocean. That's faith. Do you believe this? Do you believe this story in Scripture that there was a worldwide flood that flooded and killed all the breath of life? Do you believe it? Nobody believed Noah. Um, you know, of course it wasn't going to flood. It had never happened. What are you talking about? They didn't believe it. It's never flooded. It never will. In fact, there is no God. We don't believe in your angry God. Isn't this the same as we're hearing today? It is. What else do we hear? The rapture isn't true. Jesus is not going to come back and gather up his church and take him to heaven. It's not true. What are you, crazy? It's never happened. It's not going to happen. It never will. In fact, this tribulation you keep telling us is not going to happen. Abraham and Sarah had doubts about God's ability, his covenant. In fact, we know how he, they tried to help God out using Hagar. And they lived as exiles and strangers in this foreign land and they had to wait 25 years before they had this heir. Now, think about that. Where were you 25 years ago? 
Some of you are still in diapers, I think. <laughs> 25 years ago, where was I? You know, 25 years ago, I had two little toddlers. Um, I was at home. I was working on websites. This is when the internet first came out, you know, in the late 90s. And we had this new thing called browsers and modems, and we could get on it. And I, I was under uh, house arrest for a short period of time. And so I offered to make websites for churches for free. You know, because I couldn't leave, so I might as well just do it right there. And I ended up uh, going to Africa about five years later and teaching pastors who live in a mud hut with no electricity about the Internet. They would come to the Internet Cafe, and I would say, here's how you turn the computer on. Flip the switch. And we had to show them email and how to browse the Internet. And I said, I can make you a website, and people will call you. They all had cell phones for some strange reason. I didn't have a cell phone, and they had all, all of my cell phones. And I'm going around, and they're putting me up you know, on the pulpit in each of their churches to preach to their people. And I had to remind them, I'm not a preacher. I'm a computer nerd. All I know is computers. But I, was, I said, yes, Lord, and I went to Africa to do this for you, Jesus. But then one day I said to this one pastor, you know, I'm kind of feeling like I'm being called into ministry. But I don't understand it. This, I mean, I know who I am and where I've been and what I've done. They had outdoor crusades. You know, we're up on a, a big stage with big speakers and it's in the dark and people are coming and they're just all out there lined up. You know, no, nothing fancy, but, you know, and they'd have me preaching to them. And... This was so far out there of my experience and knowledge. But if we just say, yes, Lord, it's amazing what you can do. And then I come back home and I tell my wife that I'm feeling called to be a pastor. She wasn't into it. It took a while to get used to that. That's why she has that uh, blog that says, A Reluctant Pastor's Wife. Okay, I'm coming, but I don't like it. It doesn't make any sense. So, recognize that when God calls us to do something, you know, that's kind of like step two. Step two will not happen until we take step one. Um, he's not going to lay everything out. Look what he's told Abraham. Go to a land, and while you're on your way, I'll show you. You know, he had to get going. That's that courage, that courageous faith. So what about now? What about you? What about us? What is God calling you to believe? Have, have you been wrestling with something that God's been calling you to believe? He's wanting you to do something, but you're just, you're having a hard time accepting it? There are a lot of people and a lot of situations out there that need Jesus. Amen? We, we recognize that. And God, Jesus has called all of us, all of us to go out and disciple, to make disciples, to baptize people. You don't have to be a pastor to baptize people. So each one of us has an assignment. And in, in this church, 
provides you many different opportunities that you can participate in to do that. Um, but it, we don't have to limit ourselves there. If you've got a personal ministry that you want to do, um, we can do it. So we need to be grace inserters. In other words, if we take grace out and um, grace people, we can insert grace in them. Um, we can see the impact of grace on their life. We've seen it on our lives. We can see it on theirs. All right, so what is God calling you to believe? We can see a complicit, a complacent, and a courageous faith in the stories of Peter in the Bible, right? We can see that in Abraham and Sarah. We can see... You just go through each of the uh, characters in the Bible and you'll see these stages of faith. So the point being, if you find yourself with a complicit faith or a complacent faith, you're just you know, a step or two away from courageous faith. God can use us. He can restore us. He can ignite us. He can put us on fire. Um, so we're not stuck wherever we find ourselves. And we're not disqualified. God can use us, each and every one of us. So it's important to kind of examine yourself and figure out where you're at on this spectrum, you know, complicit, complacent, or courageous, and ask God how you can become courageous. How can you have courageous faith? And that's a scary request. Because no telling how he's going to answer you. Uh, no telling what he's going to put in front of you. But it starts with a mustard-sized faith, mustard-seed-sized faith, right? So everyone here at least has that much faith. That's where it starts. Jesus restores. So if you've fallen or you find yourself out in the world or in the pig pen, Jesus restores. Jesus ignites. He ignites that faith in us. And Jesus empowers us. We cannot say, but I'm not equipped. I'm not good enough. I don't know how, I can't do it. No, no, no. Jesus will empower you to do it through his grace. Everything we're doing here on earth is preparation for heaven. It's preparation for heaven. When we're, we're doing things for Jesus, we're laying up those rewards in heaven. Uh, everything we're doing is preparation for the things that we will be doing in heaven. Courageous faith is exciting. It's exhilarating. Uh, it is challenging, no doubt. I love this quote. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. <laughs> the world at its worst needs the church at its best. So let us be the best. The church will be evident to all out in the community because it's a house full of candles, all shining, you know, letting our light shine. That's what people in the community need to see. They don't need to see that, um, you know, like your experience with Church of Christ, we're never breaking a rule, we're always following all the rules, we know all the rules, and we can tell everybody else they have to follow those rules. No. 
They first called the church Christians. They saw them in Antioch because of their love for one another. Amen. These are the things they need to see in us. Um, you know, not not to embarrass you. I don't think it does. But when uh, when we have the problem with the food pantry, you put that great post yeah. on Facebook um, that you know somebody's removing stuff um, without permission, and we just want you to know uh, we love you. Um, if if you have a need, just come ask us. We'll help you. You don't need to take it. And it was amazing the response of God. So many people loved that. And other people would come and say, wait a minute, I can be your bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to explain to Ron that we just don't understand yet. But it is through those kind of troubles that God can work. And I would say it made a huge impact in the community. Better than, you know, okay, the food pantry's open this day. You know? The fact that we had trouble had more impact sure. than... Some yeah, that was, was spectacular. Yeah. So it took a big faith, a courageous faith, to put that out there like that. And that's what God's calling us to do. You know, a lot of y'all weren't here back then, but you were mentioning about bouncer. I remember at one time, we were having church services, and people were outside with guns guns and bear horns and whatever else. Yeah. It was after that massacre on that one church. Mm-hmm. So, um, to finish up, you might be asking, okay, I'm fired up. How do I have courageous faith? This sounds good. I want to do it. Um, well, first of all, we have to recognize that it's the Lord who gives it to us. You know, we ask, but He will give it to us. Um, so if, if you're going to have courageous faith, you have to spend time seeking God. Seeking His will for your life. You need to spend some time observing what you see around. You need to listen. Too often our prayers is only us talking. We need to spend time listening for the answer. So we'll, we'll just pray, 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 pray. And then take off. And we never sit and listen God wants to answer. He wants us to hear His answer. We, we've got to get to the point where we're listening. And then when we hear it, we say, yes. Yes, Lord. You remember uh, when God called Moses through the burning bush to go and He said, but I, I can't. I, I'm, I'm, I can't speak well. I stutter. And, you know, God was going to use him one way or another. So, I think about, some of you have seen that movie, Sound of Freedom. You know, there's a guy that saw a problem, an evil, and he was convicted spiritually by God. He's got to do something and he can do something. And uh, while I haven't seen the movie, I'm sure he didn't know how he was going to do it. He just went and started. And things came together because... God will be with us along the way. So to finish up, we must believe big. Uh, courageously. And this can only happen, you can only believe big if you don't value your own life too much. Right? If we value our life too greatly, we're going to be afraid. We don't want to take chances. We don't want to take chances. 
we find ourselves in that complacent zone. Know this, if God gives you a big thing to do, He's going to give you the wherewithal to do it. Amen. Whatever it is, whether it's faith, money, people, things, whatever it is, you know, you just have to begin, you have to grow in your trust of God. All right, praise God. So, uh, just a short time for any any uh, comments or reflections on our message. Okay. I always go into situations with love them first. Love them first, get to know them, and let them know about Jesus. Um, it seems to work pretty good. It's pretty good for me. Yeah. yeah One thing I didn't see when I first moved to Pagosa Springs, never ever did I imagine I'm going to be running across Amazing Grace Community Church. <laughs> yeah. And it came from the dirt up. Yeah. Or actually, sand up. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I just, you know, I'm living evidence that the tiny mustard seed of faith. You know, I, I grabbed the crucifix, the rosary that I had on pain in my car. Um, for luck, you guys. Did anyone believe it was for luck? Uh, oh, you know. But I reached, I reached out, you know, and I, I grabbed that cross and I said, I don't even know if you're there or if you exist. But please help me. I mean, I wailed that, you guys, and I'm living evidence that it's true because, of, you know, a little over a week later, I was here, and then three weeks later, I was baptized. And you can't tell that that wasn't God. Like, I didn't even believe you guys. I was like, I don't even know if you're there. I didn't even know if he was there. I just asked for help. Just a quick thing. It, it reminded me, what, one thing you said reminded me of a story I had heard of, of like through science and technology and everything, we had finally reached the point that we could do what God did. We could make a man out of the earth, out of, you know. So there's this, this challenge, you know, and, and we bring together the dirt, the scientists, the doctors bring together the dirt. And God says, no, 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 wait a minute, you got to get your own dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Start with your own dirt. Yeah. All righty, well, let's uh, gather around and pray for one another. <laughs>